Hi, I'm Anders Bolling. Welcome to Mind the Shift, a podcast about a shifting and an integrating world. In this episode, we will dive into the world of art and creativity and possibly a lot of other things outside the scope of my imagination. And we will visit West Africa. My guest today is Rania Odemat. She is a Ghanaian artist, creative coach, art curator, a founding member of the Beyond Collective, and a part-time fashion stylist and creative director. Welcome to the show, Rania. Thank you, Anders. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. I know you as the person with the most fabulous, mind-blowing hat creations I've seen in my entire life. And I know you also as an extremely supportive and uh, supportive course mate who engages in the most wonderful and insightful pep talk one can imagine. Your comments are always so to the point. But I don't know much about your life in Accra, Ghana. Can we maybe start off there by you telling us a little bit more about, about your life in Accra? And Odemat, uh, what kind of a name is that? I it's said an Arabic. It so- sounded Dutch, but it's not Dutch. Okay, it's Arabic, yeah. So tell us more about yes. your life in Accra. So uh, my life right now in Accra, what it's like, I guess. Yeah, and are you you're born and raised in, uh, in Accra or in Ghana? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is home. My children are fifth generation, actually. So my okay. ancestors came to Ghana before there was any Ghana. It was still the Gold Coast. And from the area that is now Lebanon, but at that time was not Lebanon. So Lebanon was not born. Uh, and, and since then, we've been here. Okay. Yeah, Lebanon so, is a very recent creation. Oh, yeah. Even Ghana. I mean, we forget during, we measure everything by the span of our lifetimes when yeah. entire nations and borders can completely change or you know, be reborn in, relative, in a relatively very short time. Yeah. And Ghana is, uh, anyway, it's, it's a very young creation, as you say, but uh, with African standards, it's, it's pretty old as a nation state. I think it was the f- oh, yes. f- one of the, f- well, Ethiopia was never a colony, but otherwise I think Ghana was the first to break free of colonization. Yes, we were the first to get our peaceful independence. And that was a huge it had a huge impact actually on so many other colonies. Uh, people like Martin Luther King came here to, uh, to witness uh, the in- independence. He, he has a very well-known speech about it. He took heart and he took hope for the civil rights movement in the US. So many like um, the first president Kwame Krumah was very much beyond his time in terms of vision and, and yeah, growth. Yeah. And so okay. how is that yeah. right now? I think it's, it will. Um, it's sharing, um, on one level, it's sharing a lot with the rest of the world in terms of the pandemic and the, the repercussions of the pandemic and the huge economic toll and the financial toll and the human social toll, you know? So from that perspective, I think we're all in, in one big boat. Yeah. Uh, how how is it different? How is my life different? I don't think my life represents the life of every single Guinean person. You know, I mean, um, sometimes we forget that Africa is a huge continent and Ghana is a very big country. So living in Accra is completely different from living in Tamale, for example, mm-hmm. uh, or in uh, Kumasi or in other big cities. It's the capital city. Also, depending on which neighborhood in Accra you live. I mean, there are many, many neighborhoods where there's no running water in the house or you have to rely on outhouses. So again, you know, there's um, a very big difference in experience in terms of life. Um, So what kind of of neighborhood are you you living in? Well, right now I'm in East Ligon, uh, which is a residential neighborhood. which is, is, uh, has sort of grown because Accra keeps growing. It's, mm. it's a big city. What I do here is obviously this is my home, my family's here, 
my childhood friends, my creative tribe. Um, uh, I work, uh, well, I live and I, I, I work and I create. Are, are you having a lockdown right now or are you? No, no. right now. There so is you, you can walk around on the, in the streets. I mean, yeah, but uh, yeah. Are people wearing face, face masks. I know. And, and so there's always this, sometimes it, it feels like Orwellian in a way because it, you, you're walking around and then if you're not wearing a mask, people are like, oh my God. <laughs> You know, like, and then you see all of these people wearing masks, some you don't even recognize and they talk to you. You can't understand what they're saying because you don't see their body language and you can't hear them properly. And then you no. talk to them and they can't, and nobody realizes the absurdity of it. Like it's, abs it's totally absurd. It's like, uh, it's like uh, an art uh, work, isn't it? The whole thing. Yeah. Yes. Like fiction or like a like something that that this Bulgarian artist Christ, Christo was his name. Yeah, I think he died recently. He could have he could have he could have staged this. <laughs> okay, well, I mentioned earlier here the the different roles and jobs that you have, um, which you have told me I wouldn't have known otherwise. But what are you the most? Would you say? I mean, are you the artist, the creative coach, the art curator? or uh, the fashion stylist, what, what would you say is most I you? wouldn't say any of them. I would say I'm, I'm um, a soul having a human experience. Mm. And that if, if I, I were to say something else afterwards, it would be a, an explorer, a seeker. And then it's a mother, a wife, a daughter, so many things. Yes, and afterwards creative or creator would, would come and which sort of embraces all the other things that I do. I don't think, I mean, I think, you know, all of these roles are, okay, they can be helpful in terms of simplifying things, but then ultimately mm. they don't really describe you as a person. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, that's beautiful. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I like it. I mean, it's part of the matrix, of course, but we're so used to using these concepts around who we are and what we do but as you say it can be practical to know what somebody works with if you're going to do some collaboration with that person or whatever what do i spend uh, most time doing yeah yeah what do you um, spend most time doing out of these jobs you mean yes yeah. so probably the creating and the creative coaching okay and why it's out of choice um so with the others, for example, with the fashion styling, let's say, I won't take any job. I'm very particular. If it's a job that doesn't promote African aesthetics, if it's a job in fashion that doesn't resonate with me, for example, fashion and mental health or something else, I'm not interested really. You know, um, same thing with creative direction. But with the, with the coaching, uh, it resonates with my soul. Uh, that transfer of knowledge, which is very much needed. We don't have enough resources and support systems for creatives. Um, and it's something that is very, very much needed. So, and we create the sort of environments we're in, right? You start with yourself. And if there's any way that um, I can share my knowledge and I can facilitate the knowledge and the process and the growth of someone else, uh, I will always do it. This is something I made a commitment to do about 16 years ago, and I try to do as much as possible. The other thing is creating. So whether on my own or within the frame of the Beyond Collective, which is an art collective that um, we, we created with other friends, uh, and why creating? Because for so many reasons, um, one of them is it was very much part of my healing process and my growth process. Uh, the second thing is it's, uh, it's fascinating to me. There's always room for me to grow and to learn and to dive into other forms of intelligence that are not necessarily always taught and developed in our educational systems or our cultural systems, let's say. 
for example, intuitive intelligence, intrapersonal intelligence, interpersonal intelligence, you know, um, uh, uh, the, the spiritual intelligence and how all, they all come together mm. with rhythmic, kinesthetic, and they're so dynamic and they feed on each other and how you can use those to drive and generate your pursuit of insight and knowledge. So the creative process is, is, uh, is a constant sort of discovery for me. This is mm -hmm. why, you know, I, 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 I want to keep on doing it. It's also mm -hmm. something that helps me um, feel fulfilled and at peace and be able to consider from different dimensions, I guess. You mentioned that this was a part of your healing. Is a, do you mean to say that it's a, a general healing process as many of us have uh, over the course of a lifetime? Or was, was there something that had happened in your life that made you feel that you, you needed healing? If yes. you want to talk about that, you don't no, have to. I, if you, it's, it's, uh, I believe it's all out there. There is no, uh -huh. uh, I have absolutely no problem, you know, talking about it. About 17 years ago, I had a crash, a crash of myself. I, I couldn't find the energy to get out of bed. I couldn't stand myself. Uh, I didn't feel that I was uh, who I was supposed to be. I was basically living for others to respond to other people's um, perception of what identity is, what role should I play, what is considered good or bad. Uh, and so I had constantly been repressing my, my inner voice and my inner self for a very, very long time. And, uh, and sometimes a catalyst happens, an event happens, and it just... You know, you, you get many, many cracks along the way. And then there's this one little tap that brings the whole thing falling down. Mm. And so this is what happened. And I made a choice to be better. And it was the moment when I said, you know what? I'm going to be true to myself, no matter who I lose or what I lose. And I'm going to listen to that voice. And so that's when my path of, of healing really started. And it was about re-educating myself, re-examining everything, re-educating myself, uh, looking at my past conditioning, uh, whether it's educational or social or family-related or you know, cultural hmm. uh, and, and creativity, going back into creativity was a huge part of that process. Okay, and that what you have learned during that journey, you are now helping others discovering through your co coaching? Is that what you oh, Yes, yes. And, and then again, I, I try not to, you know, it's, it's sometimes when you're coaching, you have to be very aware not to project on anybody else. So yes, what I learned, I shared, but then uh, it's, it's basically about the other person and their needs. And of course, being human, there are always resonances, you know, and, 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 uh, and you always find common points or common grounds and things that you relate to with the other person. But it's always, I always try to allow the other person to drive their own coaching let's say i'm just the facilitator yeah and you have of course started this new podcast creative in accra and uh, do you intend to use that as a as a ways of as a means of uh, so to speak um, weaving together all these creative threads that you have okay. yes it's it's a way it's a way for me to expand the breadth and scope of what I do. So it's not typically creative coaching, but I actually bring my skills as a, as a creative coach into it. It's not exactly uh, writing or poetry, but then I bring my skills as a wordsmith into it. It's not exactly, also as, a, as an artist, I work with, with um, visual performance, you know, it's always, what I wear and what I do is a type mm. 
of um yeah we've seen the hats yes <laughs> and so there's always this conversation happening it's a way to make people aware that whether i'm wearing this hat or not there's always a three-way conversation happening between us that is non-verbal so when you do it this way you sort of choose you know what am i saying what am i emphasizing at this point and so i also bring those skills so we end up you know bringing everything who we are and what we do into a new sort of you know dimension or creation or medium let's say one plus one uh, equals three as they say sometimes. oh yes and and not even that I think, you know, this is one of my podcasts and one of my conversations with a very, very dear uh, friend of mine who's like a brother and who's an artist. He says, he says, you know what? One of the greatest fallacies in our educational system is the math. The fact that they teach our children that one plus one equals two every time. They should tell them one plus one equals two when you're studying math that was created in this specific way, but it doesn't always apply to life. And he gives examples. He says, take two people, one plus one, you and a partner, let's say. Sometimes it equals one because you decide to, to, to imprint and become one. Sometimes yeah. it equals one because you end up leaving each other and, and it's one. Other times you have a kid. So one plus one equals three. Other times you have more kids, you can adopt other kids, whatever. And he says this basic definition of oversimplification of one plus one equals two every single time doesn't help also with collaboration. Because if somebody grows up on that notion, if I think that if I'm going to collaborate with you, Anders, mm -hmm. one plus one equals two, we're, we're going to end up with one each. Whereas yeah. if I know that in mm -hmm. creativity, we can achieve more than the sum of our parts. Mm. If I mm. collaborate with you and we get six or seven, mm. you can yeah. have three, I can have three, and we can give one to support somebody else. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, one plus one can equal one million if you create a, a, a giant, what, what do I know, company or organization or something that works for the whole world. It, it, it can equal just as... I think that was beautifully said. <laughs> I've never thought of it that way, but math is maybe a little bit of, a, of an obstacle here when we, when we talk about creativity and social interaction. So, great. You mentioned before different, uh, different kinds of intelligence in the context of creativity. Uh, I think you, you, you said a little bit about it, but can, can you elaborate that on that a little bit more? That's really interesting. Different kinds of intelligence, what is, what is that? Yeah, a typical example, take someone like the boxer, Muhammad Ali, mm -hmm. okay? He was given an IQ test at one point in his life. And based on that IQ test, he was considered to be slightly retarded, hmm. lacking in human intelligence. And he, he scored below the norm, you know? But then what was never taken into consideration was what has been, had been his schooling and his exposure whether it was, you know, and also measuring that academic intelligence as his value. When looking at his life, you realize that Muhammad Ali had amazing kinesthetic intelligence, which is the intelligence that has to do with how you relate to your body and how you move your body in space and, and, and other objects, you know, and, and then he had amazing interpersonal intelligence, being able to connect and to read the other yeah. intrapersonal in, so interpersonal and intrapersonal in terms of having a growth mindset and being able to motivate himself he could speak so well for himself he was very articulate in some ways so uh you don't have an average or normal individual but when you look at it from a very narrow uh needle and standpoint of academic intelligence and how it is measured by our so-called experts, you can see a nobody or nothing, which he was told he was, mm -hmm. when this is a guy that has inspired and achieved and brought so much. And it applies to so many people and so many things. So this is why I'm saying, I, like, we don't end, 
looking at brain, the brain and how it works and the nature of intelligence, which is dynamic, I don't think we are making the most of our human potential. Most schools still focus on academic intelligence when in very fast changing time like, like these, we need a lot of creative intelligence because the one who's gonna survive is the one with the highest capacity for change and for, to recreate yourself and adapt and find solutions to very fast rising problems. And whether you're an artist or not, if you're not trained creatively to tap into that inner creator that you have, and which then puts you in touch with your intuitive intelligence, which every kid has, why do you look at kids and see that they have very high emotional or intuitive intelligence, but then the moment they understand without actually being able to intellectualize it or, or put it in terms of logic, they know who loves them, who doesn't. They know who's a threat. If there's anything happening amongst, uh, between the parents, they feel the vibes. They know exactly what is, is wrong, you know? And yet when kids start going to school, slowly they lose that or mm -hmm. they stop trusting that yeah they're not it's, encouraged to to enhance it and develop yes it. but then when you develop and invest in your spiritual intelligence your intuitive intelligence and all all of the possible other intelligences they collaborate and raise each other up and, and give you a completely different potential from the one you have if you only focus on one aspect of human intelligence. Sure, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, I think you're right there. Um, we're focusing too much on the academic intelligence. But did you know that, that actually the, 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 the classic IQ measure, the IQ um, numbers, uh, that we maybe shouldn't be measuring as much as we do, but they, if we just look at those, they have actually increased uh, over the, the last um, five or six or seven decades. Have you, why, why, do you know why? Yeah, there is a guy, uh, New Zealand uh, uh, professor of psychology, I think, or sociology, I can't remember. He's called James Flynn, and this is called the Flynn effect because he was the guy who discovered this in the 80s. They were, they were comparing um, cohorts of, um, uh, I think, military um, uh, conscripts. Uh, anyway, somehow he discovered that, that, that the, the numbers, that the average uh, IQ had, had risen. And he checked, for, he checked other countries and, and um, came to the conclusion that they had gone up in almost all the Western, Western countries and later, it was discovered that they, they, it had also risen in, in countries like India and, and in Eastern Asia, and I think also in countries in Africa. Uh, and the, the explanation is, um, while there are different explanations, one is the very uh, little bit boring explanation that people are more educated, formally educated today than before. So people tend to know what they are asking for, but they're, I mean, these tests are not just uh, verbal, of course, and, and to write down answers to questions. It's about knowing how to, how to uh, recognize different shapes and things like that. But uh, that's one explanation that people are more, all over the world are more formally educated so that they can, they can understand how to think in these matters. But the more interesting explanation is that we, and, and it's connected maybe to some extent to the formal education also that we are more uh, we are more prone to think uh, hypothetically today we are better at at, at uh, thinking hypothetically which is uh, good news if if you want to have people being able to uh, to be empathic and understand how others have it I mean, you can, you can, you can kind of, uh, because when you ask people in the 1890s or 1900s or 1910s, uh, what's the connect, what's the, if, if they, if you gave them, uh, for instance, uh, well, the, 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 let's say the question was, here's a dog and here's a rabbit. What's, what's their uh, common denominator? 
well, that, that's not, there's nothing. They would say there, there, there's, no, there, there's no connection whatsoever. This is a rabbit and this is a dog. And uh, well, the dog might chase the, the rabbit. That's all that they could think of people living in the countryside many countries but uh, today people would say that well they are uh, they have uh, they have four legs and they both have four legs and they are both uh, uh, <laughs> what's the word mammals, um, mammals exactly uh, lots of things anyway but maybe a bad example but i think when i spoke to james flynn about this sorry for this rant no, don't worry <laughs> but he was talking about this ability to think hypothetically, which I thought was really interesting. So just uh, a, a sidetrack on IQ. But I, I agree with you that we should actually measure other types of intelligence. So creativity and, and art, there is, art, I mean, art is a, is a part of this, but creativity can be so many things, but you are creating art and People have a pretty narrow, I think, uh, picture of what art is. How would you describe art? What is art to you? And what, what um, significance has art in, in, in the context of creativity? I think um, it has many values. Uh, one of them is our first president, again, didn't believe that we could ever truly exercise our freedom and grow if we didn't invest in our arts and culture. Why? Because your arts create your narrative. And without a story, without a narrative, it's very difficult to be free because other people will write your narrative and decide who you are, which is a lot of the conflict that is happening, you know, when in Africa, when, you know, a lot of, let's say Europeans or other, other people, Americans are writing from their own viewpoint sometimes, which does not really fit the reality or the whole spectrum of reality. But as long as you don't do it yourself, somebody else has got to do it. So from that perspective, you know, it's about actually exercising your freedom and your growth. This is one aspect of it. The other mm -hmm. aspect of it is art is healing. Art is healing. It's an introspective tool as well, because going through the process, sometimes through artworks, you articulate and provide people with new insights, or you can create a new conversation or change the conversation or, or, or put them face to face with a new perception, let's say. Uh, there are, so, these are some of the major ones, like introspective tool, tool of uh, personal, national, whatever articulation, also healing for healing uh, and, and growth. What kind of art and inspires again, you the most? Art, you know, to, to be able to, to create art, you have to think creatively. And creative thought is... Uh... Hello, Anders? Yes. Yes, yes, I'm here. And I think I, we, you lost me a bit. That, yeah. yeah, creative thought, I think, is necessary for our survival as a human species uh, for change. Because, uh, you know, if the only thing that makes us survive is our ability to change. And if you keep on doing the same things and you don't think outside of the box, it's very difficult to change. And I think everybody has, there were studies that were made, everybody has an inner creator, has a capacity to be creative. Doesn't mean you're going to be an artist. It's just that our educational system, again, and parenting methods don't really uh, value that and, and develop that, help us develop that. But as a creator, every human being, we physically do that by having babies, but we also do it through in many, many ways. Sometimes we recreate ourselves within our lifetime. Part of your character dies, another one is reborn. You, you go through growth. Uh, uh, and mm -hmm. if you look at everything organic around you, whether you sit in the ocean, you know, you float in the ocean, or whether you walk in a forest, or whether you look into your own body, cells are dying and recreating everything in a is in a constant flow of creation and creativity mm. 
Ch change is the only constant. Yes, and that birth and death and creation, cycle of creation and creativity because there's a dynamic yeah. of things. Um, and it resonates, we resonate with all of that around us. Mm. So why don't we, we, I think we need when we connect to that aspect of ourselves, it can be immensely powerful. Yeah. And yet we're not, you know, encouraged to enough. However, no, you not. use it, you know, you can use it by not being, you can use it by applying creativity to entrepreneurship yeah. or to social studies or to psychology, you know, to, to education, anything. Yeah. I sometimes think that there are two major forces in the universe, and I'm not the only one who says this. <laughs> And that's love and fear. And love is the creative force and fear is the destructive force. And maybe we need both. We need to build and we need to destruct in order to see that we have to build. You know, you, know, you understand this. But um, I think that nothing, nothing is actually created without love. It's, and that could entail, I mean, anything from the smallest, tiniest little pet project you have to, to, to gigantic, what do I know? space projects or, or anything or, or the, the love for creating a family or whatever. I think, I think love is, love is the, the basic, basic uh, force behind creativity. I think you agree with me. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, I do. I do. Also, to, to stay on this slightly philosophical path, do you think that what we visualize that we want to create and, i.e., materialize in the future, what we call future, that, those, that this, this actually already exists somewhere at some point in space-time, in the moment we visualize it? Do you believe that that's that's the fact that's the thing? I think, I think it's possible. I think it's it's uh, it's very possible. I also think, I mean, based on some uh, experiments that were done, when you you like take the shape of a wave, let's say, or a frequency, and it's it's in a vacuum or alone, not in a vacuum, but you know, there there is no consciousness standing there looking at it, not even speaking. It behaves in a specific way. The moment there's a conscious person or being or eyes there, even if they don't move or don't do anything, it changes the, the behavior of the, of the frequency. Oh, it's, you're referring to the, the quantum physics thing. Yes. Yeah. And so um, I really think that we have the capacity to manifest mm. uh, uh, so many things and uh, yes I mean again you've got all the theories and string physics you know for me one one um, I can read you something that really resonates with me I don't know if if it makes sense to you but this is something from and you find it in old text by Ali bin Abi Talib who wrote I'm translating from Arabic your sickness is from you but you do not perceive it and your remedy lies within you, but you do not sense it. You, you presume you are a small entity, but within you lies the greater universe. You are indeed the evident book by whose letters the hidden becomes manifest. You have no need to look beyond yourself. What you seek is within, if only you would reflect. That's beautiful. And I think I personally, like 
this makes sense with all of these, you know, theories. Again, in science and physics, theories are born and theories change. But if you look at it from a perspective, and this, he was not the only one. If you go back into esoteric uh, studies, if you go back into specific spiritual cultures across board, like comparative, you know, this is not, it's, it's there. It's yeah. there. If you look at Carl Jung's work in, in modern mm -hmm. psychology, uh, you know, the notion of the collective unconscious and all of that, I do think that you wouldn't be able to, and, and look as well at, you know, what they say about the brain. We only use less than 10%, less than 7% of our brain. So what is all the rest? Obviously, all, all the rest is not trash or rubbish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It could be if you want it to be. <laughs> yeah. But I see, yeah, I, I see the, the, the brain more like a TV set, actually, because I don't think that consciousness resides in, in the brain. But, yeah. No, anyway. it doesn't. I mean, I, I don't think any of us, look, if you take about, I worked as a dream interpreter for about two years on a site called Freudit, and we had dreamers from all around the world. And what happens in dreams is, is perceived by our central nervous system and our memory banks exactly the same way as a reality, a real event. Yeah, wow. Awake happens. You can measure so that. Yeah. It's measured in the same way. It, there is no variation. But then when you look at many, many, many dreamers, you realize that the notions that we have while awake of space and time don't apply to our dreams. The notions that we have about memory and retrieval of knowledge don't apply in dreams. Um, so much of what we consider logical doesn't apply in dreams. There is a language of dreams, but it doesn't, follow, it, it doesn't follow the same logic. And yet, to our central nervous system, they are measured as real as each other. So I think that, you know, it's, it's um, however much you open your mind and whatever you can imagine is possible. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think so too. In I terms think, of I think, reality. Yeah. Because yeah. I think we have a hand in creating our own realities. Mm. Otherwise, when you look at in psychology, uh, healing, you know, or therapy, uh, uh, so many times, like in self-image uh, therapy, for example, when people heal their self-image, it completely changes their life direction and their, their experiences and the kinds of, of events that happen in their lives. And Salvador Dali, the famous artist, has a work around it called Darkness and Light. And he shows this, and it's a very naive, simple sort of sketch but it shows, but extremely deep and complex because it shows your self-image as this huge figure in the sky that's bigger than the sun and pulling a little tiny boat in the sea that it represents your life direction. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I think we, there are so many layers inside of us that we can access if we really just... Uh, try to do that and, and realize that, as you say, we are not separate from each other. I think actually scientists are now uh, frontline scientists in some sectors are talking about the unified field. And there are, well, you, you mentioned string theory. I'm really not an expert on this, but it's so fascinating. I, I hope to be able to invite people who can talk about these things on my podcast, because I think it's so, so fascinating that they're, what they're talking about now, the unified field and all that, it's, it's very similar to what spiritual teaching, spiritual um, books have been talking about for, for thousands of years, actually, that everything is connected and uh, that there is no such thing as void. Uh, so the, the space is just replete with energy. It's just, it's just packed with energy and we are, we are just uh, more or less uh, dense uh, manifestations of that energy, because you know that ninety nine point nine 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 percent of my finger here is 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 just uh, what we would call nothingness. But it's it's not nothing. It's it's this field of energy. But 
in terms of atoms and electrons and the molecules it's not much there really <laughs> so i think I, I think it's i think it's wonderful to think that way because that makes it easier it makes it easier to understand that we we are all it's just it's just waves of energy that's floating around us all the time and i think that creativity could could probably help us to to reach that insight don't you think yeah i think i think it's not only creativity i think it's um, seeking seeking no. through the creative process through creative means through applied creativity seeking um, through connecting to your spiritual self seeking through connecting to your own body as a messenger because so much of the pain that we contain in our body is actually full of information about our feelings, our limitations, our, our prejudices, our, you know, and, and I've seen a lot of healers know immediately when, not a lot, there are not many of them, but then some do it. They know immediately after meeting a person for five minutes that, okay, that person feels helpless. There's a situation that makes them just because of how they hold themselves or because of how a specific muscle behaves mm, yeah. or because of their posture or because of... Or maybe their aura. <laughs> yes, or the microfacial expressions. Yeah. Even beyond, of course, the aura is so, so important. But then some people will tell you, okay, I believe in the aura. Others will say, I don't believe in the aura. But mm. then when you take it from a muscle perspective, which is... Yeah you know it's like they they hope. more people will buy into that than than the, the aura thing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean i buy into all i i, I yeah, but i think but as you say if, if you want to if you want to convince people that these things that healers can see these things you can you can example exemplify like you say with uh, with how the muscles or the posture is yeah. uh, i mean it's happened if you touch sometimes for a specific person who's um carrying something specific there's a point you can touch their foot and press and they can scream they're holding something inside you know and uh, they're not but without their awareness what you carry is what tells that story on your body everywhere why do people struggling with depression or mental health illness one of the first symptoms is pains in their body mm -hmm. In their muscle, mm. whenever you touch them, it's painful. You cannot stand mm. to be touched. It's all connected. So one of the starting points of, of my podcast is that this is uh, that these are crucial times. It doesn't say really crucial times in, in the intro text, but uh, the st a starting point is that we are in a shifting living in a shifting world and an integrating world. And you said, mentioned before the interview that you are not convinced that we are necessarily living in crucial times uh, because, I mean, we are experiencing adversity, of course, with the pandemic and all the, those things that are happening. And I, I also uh, recognize that, I mean, humanity has gone through many crises of that type before many, many times, but I think there is something special, something particular about this time in the fact that we are integrating, that, that the whole planet is connecting for the first time in history. And this has really not happened before. Don't, don't you think that this has some kind of impact? I mean, would you and I, for instance, have been able to meet without this, this world of connectivity and connection? I don't think so. No. And, and don't, you, don't you think this will have some kind of impact on humanity and where we are going uh, from here ahead? I don't think it's in that. I think it's in our consciousness because uh, what you're describing can be an amazing advantage, you and I connecting, because we're connecting from a point of love and growth and appreciation and sharing. But you can also connect from a point of destruction, which we see this connection and media being used to globally manipulate people and to globally drive towards insecurity, fear, and 
a lot of negativity. So nothing, every weapon that has a potential, you said it before, to build also has the same capacity to destroy. And yes, you and I are now using it in a constructive way, but while we're doing so, so many are using it to control and to manipulate. And so that's why I say, take words, for example, you know, words can be weapons mm -hmm. and words can be a bomb and healing. Uh, and it's not the word itself. It's how you use it and how you make the other person feel. So I don't think, I think, yes, there is this great advantage, unprecedented, maybe unprecedented because, I mean, again, some studies and theories show that we might not have been the only ones in history, but then, you know, that's another discussion. Yeah, if you go back many thousands of years, thousands yes. of years, yes. So, so let's say, you know, although it might be false, that this unprecedented, you know, connectivity is, is happening. This could be the means to control us as well. Um, yeah, but either way, it it's, it's indicates that we are living in crucial times, maybe? Well, yes. Crucial doesn't mean good or bad. It means yes. just a, it's something. Yes, yes. They are. I, I agree. I mean, I, you know, for me, it's, it's both crucial and non-crucial. Not crucial, depending on which perspective. Crucial, yes, because our future depends on the kind of consciousness we develop right now, the kind of, of uh, 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 what we drive towards right now. And obviously... If we keep on uh, behaving in automatic uh, subconscious ways, you know, of how we've been programmed to, or if we keep on behaving from a place of fear, fear is not conscious. Fear comes from the subconscious mainly. And mm. so uh, we won't be going anywhere good. And, and it's crucial because of that. But then is it more crucial than other times in history? I think like uh, if we take... Um, the Spanish plague, if we did, I mean, there's so many events in history that felt or were experienced in a similar manner, even if the tools were not exactly the same, but in terms of, of humanity and human pain or experience or feeling that oh, it's the end of the world and, and we're living in, you know. So that's why I meant yes and no. I mean, no, it's not more crucial than other such events. But yes, it is in a way because we can't get away. Respond, yes, will affect where we end up and what kind of experience we end up having, or our children, or you know. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. This has been a fascinating and very very interesting conversation. What are your dreams and goals for the future? For yourself and for maybe for for Ghana and the world uh, well you can start with yourself <laughs> myself uh, my dream and the long-term goal is to always keep on learning how to love better how to both give and receive love better I don't think that it's a lesson that it's a very 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 big non-ending lesson I think our goal lies in our human connection. Um, because in Arabic, if you take the name of human being, insan, and the root of it, it implies uh, a connection and a befriending. And I think for us to, to experience the, measure, the fullest measure of our humanity, you know, we need to engage, uh, which, modern life is sort of restricted and more and more is, is encouraging um, isolation. But isolation is the worst thing for mental health. And isolation, because it affects our mental health, affects our growth and affects that connection and will affect how we experience our humanity. So for me, the, that goal is, is always at the top of my head. How can I love better? How can I accept better? How can I break all the barriers that stand in the face of love, in my psyche, in my heart, in my mind, and you know, and 
It's an ever ending. And how can I have the best quality of connections and relationships that I can have? Mm, fantastic. Beautiful. Uh, now, can you please tell us how can, where can people find your podcast and your other creative sites or websites or whatever? I've been very internet shy, so I, I've always chosen not to have a website. I, okay. only, I have an Instagram account, which is more of a communications page, but I sometimes will post some of the events or things that I'm doing, a bit of this and a bit of that. I've also recently created um, a new Instagram page for my Creative and Accra podcast, as well okay. as a Facebook page, which I Creative and Accra and a personal Facebook page, which I only did because of the group. Uh -huh. because, uh, the, yeah. the podcast course. Yeah. The podcast course. Otherwise, my podcast is on Anchor, uh, iTunes, uh, Spotify, depending on, on the region that they're in. Yeah, and it's creative in Accra. Yes, creative. And that's A-C-C-R-A. -A. Yes. Capital of Ghana. Thank you so much for being my guest, Rania Odemat. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure.